Tonight I'm going to be reading from the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to be reading verses 3 to 14. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, and it may be helpful as I read this for you to get the dynamic that in the Greek this is actually all one sentence. This whole thing is one sentence of praise. So let's read Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. As I worked at this text this week and thought about the forgiveness of sins, I ended up going more in the direction of thinking about a number of images that this text gives us for our move from being condemned sinners to being freed and beloved saints. So through this sermon, we're going to track a number of different images that this one long sentence gives us of ways that God moves us from being sinners to being forgiven. I'll have four points up on the slides tonight. I want to start just with the word blessed. Blessed. Verse 3 starts with the exclamation, praise be to God. And you could translate that, praise be to God or blessed be God. That is a powerful word. Verse 3 isn't just sort of whispering something. It is shouting out, Blessed be the Lord. Let God be praised. This is marvelous. What a great blessing. Praise upon praise upon praise to God is what we should hear when we read that first verse. We're going to talk tonight about a number of blessings that we receive as God's people. But let's begin with praise. The first move in our worship is not to celebrate the blessings we receive, but to celebrate the Lord who gives us those blessings. We probably benefit the most in this story of salvation, but the story is not about us. It is about God. And so before we say anything else, let's start by saying, Blessed be the name of God. God is the source of all of our blessings, and gratitude and praise is the place that we start. 
As I mentioned earlier, this whole text in the original language is just one long sentence. One long, long, run-on sentence. Paul is so excited that he just can't help himself. This whole thing just comes bursting out in one long stream. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he goes on and on from there. We have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Then that long, complex sentence traces out some of the different spiritual blessings we've been given. And we aren't going to have time tonight to work through every single one of them. But we're going to focus on three. Blessed be the name of the Lord because he has chosen and adopted us. Blessed be the name of the Lord because he has redeemed us and bought us back from sin. Blessed be the name of the Lord because he has marked and sealed us as his precious people. So we'll look at the rest of the text tonight under three headings. Adopted, redeemed, and sealed. So, adopted. We are God's chosen, adopted children. All human beings start out in a terrible, terrible place. We all start out as slaves to sin. Now in the ancient world, there were a number of ways that you could become a slave, but the simplest way was just to be born to parents who were slaves. Before you had a choice, before you were even born, you could already be a slave. Life is not always fair. In so many ways, children reap the effects of their parents' lives and choices. And all of us human beings, all of us children of Adam and Eve, reap the effects of their original choice to sin. You can use some different analogies for this. You could say we're all infected by sin. You could say we're born into the wrong family. But every human being from birth is enslaved to sin. We were in a terrible place. But in His grace, in His grace, God chose to move us from the family of sin and slavery to be part of His family, to be His children, to receive a glorious inheritance from Him. Adoption was practiced with some regularity in the ancient world that this letter was addressed to. The Roman government and their system had a whole plan in place for adoption. It was pretty elaborate. It had to, as it went, the adoptive father had to buy the son three times from the birth father. Twice the son would go back. The third time, finally, he would stay with the adoptive father and become his son. And by the way, it was only boys who were adopted pretty much. It was quite a process. But once the son was adopted that last time and it became official, he would step into the role of the firstborn. He would be in line to inherit his father's possessions, his father's household, his father's position, his father's power, everything that belonged to his father. So you can guess that people tended to adopt only the best, only the most worthy, only the most capable people. I've heard actually that some Asian corporations continue a practice a bit like this. 
They want to keep the business in the family. So if they have someone who's really risen through the ranks, is really a dedicated employee, and someone who they want to give a lot of power to, they will actually legally adopt him. That person has to step away from his birth family, cut all those ties, and step into this new family and become one of them with all of the privileges and all of the responsibilities attached to that. But these corporations don't pick mediocre candidates. They don't go down to the basement of the building and pick the janitor's kid or the secretary's kids. And the ancient Romans didn't go to the slums and pick out some poor person's kid to carry on the family name. Human adoption has often been about finding the child or the adult who shows the most promise. Finding someone who has some exceptional abilities or who looks just like you or who just fits the type of person you want and then bringing that person into the family. Human adoption in the ancient world, sometimes today too, is all about merit, not grace. People often want to minimize their risk. They want to get the best return on their investment. They want to choose the best person possible. But that's not how God's adoption of us works. God didn't look ahead and see who would be the most good or the greatest people and then choose them. God didn't choose to forgive his people because they were doing pretty well. God chose to forgive us because he is gracious and we needed forgiveness. Ephesians 1.4 tells us that the Father chose his people in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world, God chose us. If you believe in Jesus, before the creation of the world, God chose you. God chose and predestined us to be adopted as his children. For before the beginning of time, God set his heart and his mind on each of his children individually. And from before the beginning, God knew we would be sinners. He knew that we would choose sin. He knew that we would have a sinful nature so that we would want to choose sin. God didn't choose to adopt us because we were worthy of love. God chose to adopt people because he loved us. If you believe in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you believe because God chose you as his child. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, none of us would believe. None of us. If you want to be God's child, it's because God wanted you to be his child. We who belong to God are his chosen, adopted, beloved children and the recipients of all his blessings. So we're God's adopted children and we're also his redeemed people. His redeemed people. Verses 3 to 6 focus on that element of God choosing and adopting us and then verse 7 moves the focus to Christ's work of redemption. And it says, In him... In Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. In Christ, 
In Christ alone, we find redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Our redemption means being bought back, being liberated, being set free. Earlier I said in the ancient world you could become a slave if you were born to slaves, but there were two other ways that you could become a slave. You could become a slave by birth, or by conquest, or through debt. You could become a slave if someone, or usually a whole army, came along and captured your city or your nation. If your people were conquered and you weren't killed, you were likely to be carried off and enslaved. And another way that people became slaves was through debt. If you took out a loan and you just couldn't repay it, you just could not come up with the money, the last resort that people often had to take was to sell themselves and often their whole family into slavery in order to pay off their debts. In order to pay off the debt, you had to give up your freedom, sometimes for a number of years, sometimes forever. Both of those were pretty tough places to be. Obviously, nobody wants to be conquered, and no one wants to be so out of options that they have to sell themselves into slavery. That is not where you want to be. But spiritually, apart from Jesus Christ, that's where all people are. Evil and sin have conquered us. Following Adam's sin, we are caught in the grip of sin. We can't get away. Sin owns us, and the powers of the world hold sway over all fallen humanity. If you talk to people, often they believe they're making their own free, sinful choices. They're saying, you yeah, know, I want to do this, I choose to do this, it's my decision. But I don't think that's the whole picture. We don't really freely choose to sin. We can't help it. Sin has got us in its grip. We are addicted to sin. And sin has conquered us. If you talk to alcoholics or drug, drug addicts, often they like to tell themselves and tell other people they can give it up anytime they want. But usually they can't. People who are stuck in any kind of serious addiction find that that addiction runs their lives. They might pretend they're in charge, but they're really not. They can't get away. They might hate the addiction, but at the same time, they desperately need it. And that's where sin has humanity. People on their own cannot get away from the conquering power of sin. And what's more, we owe a terrible, terrible debt to God that we could never repay. We owe God more than we could ever hope to repay. God is infinitely good, so any offense against Him carries an ultimate infinite penalty. And everything that we have, we get from God. So if we think we can somehow pay God back, we can somehow do enough good to offset the bad, well, we're fooling ourselves. If we want to go to God and say, God, I've done this, so you should forgive me, it's like a kid going to his dad and saying, God, saying, Dad, I broke all the windows in the car. Why don't you give me a few hundred bucks so I can pay it off, and then you'll have new windows again. You can appreciate the heart of a kid who's honest and who wants to fix what he did wrong, but it's not working. 
It's not the kid paying back the windows. The kid has no resources to do that. We are stuck. We are slaves to sin. But in Jesus, we have redemption. In Jesus, we're bought back and we're brought back from the power of evil. Cosmically, Jesus wins. Sin and evil had conquered humanity. We were in their power. But Jesus came and he defeated death. He defeated evil. He defeated sin. He defeated the devil. And all things in heaven and on earth come under the authority and the judgment of Jesus, God's Son. And personally, that's the cosmic picture, but personally, in all of our lives, if we belong to Jesus, He brings us back from evil. Sin is an addiction that we cannot kick on our own. We maybe can work at it really hard and do a little bit less, or maybe we can change more serious sins for less serious sins, but we cannot kick this addiction on our own. We do not have that power. But Jesus Christ has the power to conquer every addiction, every evil, every dark power, every sin in our lives. And what's more, Jesus pays off all our debts. Jesus, the true Son of God, He foots the bill. He pays for all our screw-ups. He takes care of our offenses. He balances our crooked ledgers. God's righteousness demands that sin be paid for. And Jesus is the only one who can pay for it. And Jesus steps into the gap and he redeems us. He buys us back. In him, we're brought from slavery to new life. So we're adopted and we're redeemed. And Ephesians also tells us that we're sealed. We're sealed. We've been marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. A seal isn't something that most of you probably use in your everyday routines, but there are certain situations where it's really, really important. And in the ancient world, often people would have a seal they'd carry around, maybe kind of on a necklace. It'd be just a little metal thing, and any time they had to do an official transaction, They'd take that, they'd stick it in some wax, and that would be saying, I agree to this. I put my mark on this. And there were, you can argue it out a little bit, but seals tended to have three uses. First, seals confirm that something is genuine. You put a seal on something to say, this is what it claims to be. If you ever look at your driver's license, there's a lot of things on there. There's a couple pictures. There's some squiggly designs to make it hard to copy. And then if you have a state of Illinois license, at least from the looking I did this week, the state of Illinois puts its seal on that license seven times. Seven times your driver's license has the seal of the state of Illinois on it. Whatever point they're trying to get across with that, I think they kind of mean it. But they're saying, this is real. This is genuine. This is not a fake. This ultimately belongs to the state of Illinois. And it attests that this person is who they say they are. The Holy Spirit is a seal that confirms that we belong to God's family. That we are genuinely 
his children. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a seal that says about you, you belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit creates in us a desire to follow Jesus. So if you believe in Jesus, that's a mark that you're sealed by the Spirit. And the Spirit works in us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. So if you see those fruits, if you see love, joy, peace, patience, and so on, if you see those things in your life, that's a sign that you have been sealed by God's Spirit. And the Spirit gives God's people gifts for the building up of the church and the glorifying of God. So if you're engaged in building up the church, you've been sealed by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in different ways, assures God's children that they really do belong to Him. So seals confirm that something is genuine, and then they also show that property belongs to a certain person. Our family likes to go to the library a lot, we're probably there most weeks, and we go sometimes to Villa Park, sometimes to Elmhurst. And every couple weeks, we have to have a grand sorting. And we go through our bookshelves, we pull out all the library books, we put them in a pile, and then we sort out what goes to Elmhurst, what goes to Villa Park. And the way we can tell is because they stamp their names on them. They put a seal on their books that says something like, this book belongs to Elmhurst Public Library at this address, or this book belongs to Villa Park Public Library, make sure you bring it back or we'll find you heavily. Not that it actually says that, but we're good at paying library fines. Unfortunately, too good. But that's another story. But those seals say, this book is the property of this institution. For God's people, the Holy Spirit is a seal that confirms that we are God's property. The Holy Spirit confirms that we belong to God. Body and soul in life and in death, now and forever. The presence of the Holy Spirit among God's people confirms to us that we really have been bought back from sin and evil and that we really do belong to God. And third and finally, a seal makes things secure. It makes things secure. I like to play video games, and whenever I buy a new one these days, it's plastic wrapped, and then it's got a sticker, and then it's got another sticker, and often it has a seal on top of the sticker to say, this is safe. No one has tampered with this thing. It has not been opened. No one has stolen your activation code or whatever you need to install it. It is secure. So you can buy it and know that you can play it. If the seal is secure, the contents are secure. And the Holy Spirit is a seal that assures us that we are safe in God. If we belong to God, He keeps us safe eternally. We are sealed. We are kept safe. So in God's grace, the Holy Spirit assures us that we're God's children. The Holy Spirit shows us that we really do belong to God now and forever. And the Holy Spirit keeps us safe and secure eternally. That doesn't mean we don't have any trouble in this life. It doesn't mean things are easy. It doesn't mean we always get our way. 
but the Holy Spirit in us now is a deposit. It's a beginning of the inheritance that God is going to give us when we live forever with Him. God chooses and adopts us as His children. God redeems us and brings us back to Him. God marks us with the seal that guarantees our eternal inheritance in Him. All of these are great blessings for us. God has moved us from death to life. He's forgiven our sins. He's made us part of his family. He's made us part of his forever people. He has come to dwell in his people forever. Because of all those blessings, we should always lift our hearts and our minds to heaven and give thanks to God. We are adopted. We are redeemed. We are sealed to the glory of God. May we always give our praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every, every spiritual blessing in Christ. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Amen.